into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible for killing innocent people. God damn America for treating us citizens as less than human. God damn America. As long as she tries to act like she is God and she is supreme. All right. Hello motherfuckers and uh did i call you motherfuckers uh, hello <laughs> hello i'm not drinking right now i'm very angry uh hello and greetings the motherfucking damned and welcome to pod damn america the gothic socialist podcast uh it's um a metaphor for prisons we'll talk about that later okay so <laughs> uh, i'm jake flores uh with me today is anders lee anders lee no exit uh, oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, I like that. Alex Patak. I'm here, motherfuckers. <laughs> and um, special guest joining us today is uh, my old editor from The Observer when I worked there, Drew Grant. Welcome to the show. Hi, hi, hi. It's Video Drew. Video Drew. Video Drew. Now, like the movie. Now of <laughs> Collider, is that correct? Yeah, I'm over at Collider now, baby. Cool. Out on the damn left coast, huh? Um, the best coast. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, I'll be seeing you soon. I'm going to LA in September. Um, collider, like in the scientific? Yeah, the Super thing? Collider. Yeah, she, she works at to, the Super Collider. She used to, to write about... Work from Jared Kushner to the Super Collider was a real easy move for me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's actually not entirely unplausible. Anyways, um... <laughs> Welcome to the show. Uh, I'm so glad to have you. A little background on how me and Drew know each other is that I used to write for her, her when uh, she was the editor of TV Download, editor and creator, I believe. Uh, yeah. The, nice. uh, the part of the New York Observer <laughs> where we recapped TV shows and stuff like that. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? You created it, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So TV Download was my idea. I started it with uh, then intern and now my coworker Vinny Mancuso, who uh, also works at Collider with me now. But uh, he started as an intern, and uh, I started in I believe 2014, I think 2014 or 2015, with the idea that like there was so much great content on TV, and at the time there didn't seem to be like one outlet outlet that was like specifically serving television, just like focused on television. I mean, there's television without pity, but I mean in large mainstream newspaper form. So I founded that vertical, and within like a year and a half, I was promoted to running the whole arts and entertainment section of the, both the then paper, which is no longer existing, as well as the um, online vertical. And Jake was one of our very, very first uh, contributors. I kind of forget how I was introduced to you, Jake, but it's through like Josh... I, I think it was Josh Gondelman. Um, it must at the time before uh, I sort of fell ass backwards into podcasting. Um, I was new to New York, and I, I was trying to make my way freelance writing, as so many people who now podcast uh, were doing, I guess. Um, and uh, I had this pitch idea for like um, satirical thing. Uh, because I think, I think we had gotten connected over like, you know, doing TV recaps and I was just like looking at TV and I was like, 
yeah, I don't know. Everyone's like already writing on all the shows I like and stuff. And so I came up with this idea where I was like, you know, what if we did like an onion style thing? And the idea I had was because um, this was also, you know, mind you, a few years ago. So it was in like the peak or at least the the this was a new concept at the time. It was like on the rise. Um, it was it was the it was like peak, like woke bloggy. Yes, yeah, that's exactly correct. That's where it came from. Go off, Jake. <laughs> so, like, every, every you know, piece was outraged at a TV show. And obviously, on oh, has not gone away at all, but, <laughs> but it was kind of a new concept. And so um, I had this idea to make, like, a an article that was, like, um, you know, an outraged piece about... Um, Oh, okay. Actually, here, let me explain it this way. So this was also during a time when Netflix was still like kind of uh, a few steps back tech wise. And so it had a really weird splash page when you opened it. And um, and they didn't have a lot of new content at the time. So I noticed when I was turning splash on my page, like it would uh, go to the Tom Hanks movie. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was watching Netflix on my Xbox, and I noticed every time I turned it on, like the the new thing that was on Netflix that week was Mash, and yes. uh, not a new show. Just they had just acquired Mash, and so I, the Great. bit I came up with was, oh, what, what if some weird, you know, outrage blogger <laughs> saw this, didn't understand that Mash is not a new Netflix show, and, <laughs> and wrote this fire and brimstone takedown of this new, you know fucking hot series called mash right? a lot of problems <laughs> and so uh we ran it and I, I i thought you know this is the dumbest fucking thing <laughs> i've ever come up with but i guess um it went well and <laughs> they think they printed it and stuff well, do you remember the title of it do you uh, remember the i'm looking at it right now <laughs> no i can't remember it says in all caps an offensive new tv show colon a millennial reviews mash yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh i think i remember seeing that on the scroll. So, uh, from there, I, um, (laughs) with Drew's Drew's help, was able to just keep this premise going and spent, like, a couple years just, um, kind of redoing this, but with new TV shows every time, and so, like, you know, we did, like, What If Frasier was, like, you know, a prestige television show, and it was, like, Mad Men or whatever. (laughs) Um, I think the, like, probably the peak of this concept was um, when I I just reviewed uh, Star Trek as yes. like a shitty millennial nerd culture person who um, was <laughs> like I think the premise was like um, that Star Trek is a rip off of Star Wars mm. which yes. which it can't yes. be chronologically which yeah. I know <laughs> I just wanted to piss people off on the internet yeah, you might have come up with the idea you might have been the germ of the idea that Quentin Tarantino should in fact do a Star Trek thing which is now come to reality so in oh, actual like really? real time you might have created that monster i don't remember if you mentioned tarantino but you definitely mentioned him in other in other hostile recaps i think he was a go-to joke yeah Quentin tarantino in space no one can hear women <laughs> uh, <laughs> nice no one can hear the n-word um <laughs> Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I got a lot of hate mail over that one because Star Wars nerds were like, or Star Trek nerds rather, were you know, d- 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 people sit didn't down. Get it. That, was, that was amazing. People didn't get it because <laughs> I think we're actually at a point now where the joke has become the reality. I think I sent you on Twitter at least one outraged blogger talking about what was it like Pretty Woman or some movie that existed like in the '80s and that they weren't okay with because of like wokeness. 
And you're like, well, it didn't really exist back then. Like, you have to take these things at face value. You can't judge this movie by your standards in 2019 with Donald Trump as president. You know, you can't do that. That's not the movie. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Pretty Woman. But it was, you know, yeah, you're right. Like, we came full circle and it's like the this premise. I couldn't even do this anymore because it's just fucking (laughs) real now. Um, (laughs) so, so, uh, yeah, if, uh, I don't think I've ever talked about that column I used to write in the show before, but they're all still up there, I think. So, um, you know, if you're bored, they're uh, very good. uh, They're, they're so very, very, very good. Thank you. It's a word that I don't use that frequently when talking about old, like old, uh, articles we did for the observer, but it it was delicious. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I always felt like, um, uh, this is going to be little, every time I sent one in, I was like, this is gonna be the one that gets us in trouble and brings the whole thing down. Um, the other other thing that was funny about that is at that time, that was when Jared Kushner was running the observer. And so like, (laughs) there were times when we were like, can we, can we fuck with him? Is he going to care? Uh, Um, yeah, it was weird. You were donating content. I mean, not donating because it was not free, but you were like putting your time and energy into a Jared Kushner related product. I believe up until 2016, it's not going past that. Wow. Yeah, I think the last thing I ever did this millennial review for was like the West Wing or something. It was right when Trump got oh, elected, and I really felt like this is the end of this project because like <laughs> we're entering the inside out now, and like yeah, you've gone to the upside down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So why write satire anymore? You know. But anyways, um, I had a great time working for you, Drew, and I'm so glad to talk to you about uh, Cube and uh, first, I guess Black Mirror. Um, so, I think the, the way to make this uh, like a topical episode would be to start with Black Mirror because um, the what is it sixth seventh season of Black Mirror just fit it's a fifth. The uh, mirror has yeah. never been so black. Is that the <laughs> yeah. interactive one? No, well, yeah, sort that was of. a movie. Oh, that was a uh, Bandersnatch, and uh-huh. Bandersnatch was like it's almost like the John Hamm Christmas one, kind of stood alone as a. You know, in between seasons, maybe. Okay. It was Black Mirror presents a John Hamm Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was literally what it was called. Oh. Um, no, called White Christmas. Just kidding. <laughs> I <laughs> think uh, a Black yeah. Christmas. No, no, Black Christmas. <laughs> name. I got this wrong on Twitter. It's actually just called White Christmas, sort of like White Bear, which is a previous episode of theirs. Ooh. Very confusing. There's a scene in Black Christmas where Santa closes the door on Felicia and he goes, bye, Felicia. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely doesn't happen in the movie Black Christmas, which is an amazing movie. That's a horror movie, right? It's a horror movie. It's It's got the creepiest, you know, the call is coming from inside the house moment. It's like mm. the definition of that, that meme or trope or whatever. All the right. clause is coming from inside the house. The clause. Yeah, the clause. <laughs> <laughs> the clause, guys. Another thing I should probably say, uh, just to preface this whole conversation, is that um, you know you might be uh, a new listener and you might be wondering um, what the fuck, why is this politics podcast talking about horror films and things like that? And uh, part of it is like, uh, and I explained this on uh, an episode I did of this show called The Horror Vanguard recently, but I think I've been able to kind of put together in my head lately a good uh, 
uh, elevator pitch or explanation of like you know why I talk about comedy and horror and politics all at the same time. Um, but I, I think it's because as a comedian, like horror makes a lot of sense to me because comedy and horror are both these like specific genres that mm-hmm. um, exist, you know, uh, outside of the expectations of, you know, something like drama. They're not generally like Oscar bait. Um, and so because they're sort of these subgenres, genres uh, um, they are able to experiment a lot. And they also are genres that uh, seek to evoke a very specific response, like f- from even you could say like the human body, like when you're watching a comedy you're supposed to laugh when you're watching a horror film you're supposed to get you know scared um mm-hmm. and so because of that i think that they're interesting in that they um they're reflective of like society in certain ways it's kind of a fun thing to pick apart when you watch horror when you watch comedy you go well, why does why does the society that made this at this time find this funny or scary or whatever um mm-hmm. you can see that when you when you look at like horror from other countries or horror from other times you know uh, there's a lot of uh like a lot that can be said about like you know horror during the cold war it was all about aliens and shit oh, okay maybe that's a placeholder for fucking communists or whatever um there's a lot of fun stuff you can pick apart with horror so um i think that is probably a good way to lead into like you know what the fuck is going on with black mirror right now because i think it's like a lot of people seem to think that it's like on the way out or that it had like an arc or something like that I kind of love it. I, I everyone said that the last season was bad. I I kind of enjoyed it. I don't know. What did you What did you think, Drew? I mean, I I think Black Mirror is it's definitely that problem of wokeness that it's literally supposed to be commenting on the times as they are right this very second. But unfortunately, the times as they exist right this very second are like mutable and changing and suffer from backlash and stuff. Suffer from like narrow mindedness and like you know blinder television. You can call it. Like, I would say that I, I like this season a lot, and I didn't expect to. I thought, like, the, uh, the one with, uh, uh, what's it, um, oh, Moriarty from Sherlock, the Smithereens episode with yeah. race and, and the sort of, like, a don't, it's, it literally boils down to being a don't drive and text PSA. Mm-hmm. Which you shouldn't do. <laughs> you shouldn't do, but, like, do we really need Charlie Brooker telling us not to do that? Like, I don't know. It's, like, the safest statement you can make. I think we need exactly. Cory Booker telling us that. Well, that's like the when Black Mirror is at its worst, it's like extremely on the nose like that, which yeah. is why like I think it's been compared to Banksy before. It's kind of like a visual Banksy where you're like, I oh. get it, dude. You know, and that's funny because Banksy's already a visual Banksy. So query whether we need two visual Banksies. Oh, right, right, right. I guess I meant like a moving Banksy, an ASMR a Banksy. Banksy. <laughs> Have you guys yeah, been I mean, to the Museum of the Moving Banksy? <laughs> <laughs> That's the no, key. but you know, I think I think <laughs> it's that. But I think the best episode. And I don't think anyone's going to debate here on this. The best episode this season was the Anthony Mackie striking vipers episode. I love only it. because it was so it was so fucking good. I can curse on this podcast, correct? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, we meant to talk to you about that. Please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Black Mirror episode that's ever existed, and I think for a reason. I'm I was really surprised to find out Charlie Brooker wrote this episode because it seems so like not pedantic and so not like luxury that I was confused for a moment about how he was possibly able to do this. And I remembered, yeah, I mean, when Black Mirror started, it didn't seem like a lecture. It didn't feel like everything was like some moral statement. Uh, it was compared to the Twilight Zone a lot, but even the new Twilight Zone is very luxury. If anyone's managed to capture like more than that, just one episode on Kumail that came out on CBS streaming. 
I don't know. I, I, I feel like the Anthony Mackie striking Vipers one is so good because it just, you know, you get 10 minutes in and suddenly there's this hard left. Uh, I'm not sure if I like, are we supposed to spoil what happens in these episodes? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, we're going to also for anyone listening, we're going to spoil both Black Mirror and The Cube, I guess. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, stop now and watch any of this shit if you want. If but, you're about yeah. to watch The Cube. <laughs> uh, <laughs> pause right now. Largest Cube experience in podcast it. history. But, uh, no, I mean, Striking Vipers, you get 10 minutes in. It's a story about two best friends reconnecting over their love of this very Street Fighter-like game called Striking Viker, Striping, ah, Striking Vipers. It's really a tongue twister. And uh, now there's, like, a VR component of it. And they get in the game. And it starts out with Anthony Mackie and his best friend from Aquaman. And the two avatars they're playing with is uh, Mantis from Avengers, just like Anthony Mackie is Falcon, and another guy who... Uh, Named Blade or something, some so Lance. His name is Lance, which is very funny. He's also from Aquaman, so it's like a DC Marvel crossover just starting out. And these two best friends, these two black guys, kind of like you know, they have their differences in life. Mac is all like a homebody who has a kid, and his best friend's more of like a wild guy still in the dating scene. Well, his friend Blade is this female like hot character, and they immediately just start boning in the video game. <laughs> nice, <laughs> it's crazy. Like holy shit! You're like this is. Anything, maybe that's just going to be a moment and that's going to like move towards something even crazier happening within the game. But no, it's just a meditation on these dudes' sexuality and like black sexuality and, and, you know, gender and the fluidness of it online. And I don't know, maybe even catfishing a little bit, but it's just so fucking bonkers how they went for that. Like just super hard instead of trying to make some big statement about America today or don't text and drive something that's easy and like, you know, easy to point at. They actually went in like a okay, let's like explore a little bit about what this might mean for humans and like these human characters, the development of the characters, which is like never a priority of Black Mirror, seem like front and center in this episode, which made it really great. I mean, yeah. I think it's probably the best Black Mirror episode they've ever come up with. Yeah, I really liked it. And uh, I think that you're right in that it was, um, it was interesting that they focused on the characters a little bit. And then it was also, I think that like, yeah, what you're saying about it is probably true in that Black Mirror is really good when it... Um, it zeroes in on something and sort of tries to like meditate on it rather than like do the, the fucking mind blowing Banksy, you know, Bill Hicks thing or think about everything, you know? Um, and this episode to me, a, I thought was really well acted. It was like kind of a feat yeah. of, uh, you know, like dramatic acting, which I thought was really cool. It was yes. also really funny, like in inside of being a weird sci-fi type, you know, twilight zone sort of thing. I mean, you're still kind of able to laugh at these guys discovering they love to fuck each other in this video game, you know, um, <laughs> and like coming to terms Maybe. with it, even you though they're, so great. <laughs> <laughs> they're, um, you know, sort of exploring their sexuality and they're both, you know, ostensibly straight or, you know, who knows big question mark over what is even sexuality through this or whatever. Um, but something that occurred to me throughout this episode is that like, if I was going to place it, cause like when, when I watch a black mirror episode, I can usually like at the end of it, nail down like oh here's what that was about or here's even exactly. the article of the week that this was sort of about and uh and they obviously they do that with like the big musical cues at the end like the the yes. cell phone episode ends with i can't take my eyes off of you and you go oh right it's about how you can't stop staring at your cell phone right <laughs> um but this striking vipers one something that occurred to me throughout it was i think it was like the reason it was so like 
kind of um, ahead of its time. Not ahead of its time, but like it was c- kind of like cutting edge and breaking some new ground in things that are being talked about in society. Is that it was ultimately about like like weird like weird like complex relationship dynamics in that like ah. it ends with and it it only alludes to this at the very beginning. But this guy who he's in this long term relationship. Um, he's got this kind of kinky relationship with his girlfriend where like, they like to, you know, pretend like they're strangers and stuff and Mm -hmm. meet each other at this bar. And then it's like this, you know, fun little thing they have. Right. I need you to pretend I'm a striking viper. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only thing that works for me. (laughs) Well, that's, that's what this guy later on kind of discovers that he likes to do with his friend. And, uh, can you not fuck with it? This thanks. Um, he, uh, like he goes through this weird crisis of his own relationship, like discovering that he guess he has like this weird, like kind of kink thing, which later I don't think they understand. It's like, that's what it is. It's, it's kind of about like, you know, if getting into like swinger shit or like polyamory and all this sort of things. And at the end of it, or even like a meditation of what it means to be um, faithful or like what trust means in, relationships for millennials which i thought mm. you know if you are a takeaway of it, it's sort of like what modern relationships look like in a lot of different facets about like what is you know faith and like you know trust and monogamy look like in a different sort of lens and and landscape than we have right now yeah and uh and like at the end of it they they kind of come to a resolution where they repair their relationship by like you know on this guy's birthday, she's like, go, go fuck your friend in the video game, go have fun or whatever. And then, you know, she yeah. goes and d- hooks up with somebody at a bar. That's a stranger. Cause that's her like weird thing or whatever. And it's People like, hall pass. they give each other, like they give each other one night, like a year hall passes. And that doesn't seem to me like you take the, the, the whole thing about his best friend and the VR experience out of it. That doesn't seem to me like the most outrageous or in, like insane idea that we could have about modern relationships. It seems like, you know, almost an old idea with a whole movie behind it with Owen Wilson and uh, Vince Vaughn. Like, that already exists. Right. Right, that should have been the movie Hall Pass, you're saying. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's funny because it's, like, it's such an artistic and, like, beautiful extrapolation of, like... So- of like millennials liking to eat ass, like something basic, <laughs> you know, like uh, well, what, some really dumb shit about our generation. Was the first episode? Was that the pig episode? The very first. Yeah. That's like one of the only ones I've seen. Yeah, yeah. Well, that uh, what was I think that came out in 2011, and then a few years later, it turned out that the actual prime minister of the UK had fucked a pig in college. Was it David Cameron? Yeah, what? yeah, that yeah. dude fucked a pig. Yeah. <laughs> The Black Mirror is becoming real. Right. Oh, it's... my God. I forgot that that happened. I fucking forgot that <laughs> He that wasn't happened. even forced to in a terrorist situation. He just thought it would be funny. Right. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, and I think that's in some ways how Black Mirror can start to feel like a little bit of a not as bright as it wants to be Ouroboros. Like getting Miley Cyrus for the third one. So, like, let's say the third one was like Miley Cyrus playing Miley Cyrus. But what if Miley Cyrus was also a robot? Like, <laughs> that's like, not a know. twist. That's, yeah, it really wasn't a twist. Um, like, or what if Panama... Cyborg. 
<laughs> Sorry. Cut you off. Oh my god. Are you in the writer's room? Is this how this happened? <laughs> About Molly Cyrus, but Molly Soyball. They just have Anders on retainer <laughs> to like do punch up for these because there's not enough twists. Well, that's the no, funny wait, thing though. Super sad about that Miley Cyrus one is if you read all the news today, the biggest thing about Black Mirror is that uh, Halsey, is that how you pronounce her name? Halesley? Halsey? That singer with like blue hair is claiming that they got the idea and stole it off of her because uh, even though it's clearly based oh. on at least Cyrus, who also stars in the fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> wait, she, she's saying Hale's that. Halsey is saying that they stole her thing, which is having weird colored hair and being like a pop sensation who doesn't really like her life. Oh, and I guess her first name is actually Ashley, which is the name of the character in the thing. That's so <laughs> like, many different people's thing. Wow. That's she crazy also to telling to on herself that. for being a robot. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't know. But to me, that's really exactly monotone and staccato. <laughs> like, is that kind of the problem of Black Mirror, that people, like, relate to it on such a literal level? They're like, oh, she stole my life idea of having different hair. Not like- <laughs> That's me. I fucked a pig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I find it so relatable as content. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the funny thing about the show. I think that I like shows like that when I'm able to go that like when I'm able to reframe it as like, oh, this is kind of dumb. Like even like the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones, I was kind of like, it's you don't get mad at it if you just know it's going to be dumb. You know, if you if it's like an expectations problem. I had a great time. <laughs> Why do you expect so much from your dragons show? But the thing about Black Mirror, I was going to say, is that, like, it is funny because you could literally, like, imagine that they work backwards from something like Miley Cyborg or whatever. <laughs> I, I remember writing at one point in one of our roundups at the end of the year in The Observer, like, uh, something about Black Mirror where I was just like, here, I'll make up a Black Mirror episode on the spot. Um, it's called Takeout. It's about how the Grubhub app is taking us out of the dining experience, right? In, like in one sentence, you could come up with something that they would take something that dumb and then try to make it you know about like i mean i think at the time i would have been like that's a reach but after watching that smithereens episode i'm like a what a waste of andrew scott and be like yeah that's what if uber was actually making us like look at our phones too much that we didn't know we were being hijacked by a suicidal fucking gunman <laughs> like that's so dumb these are almost like I think you should leave premises, you know? Yeah. The hot dog car crashes and is like, what if there's an episode where we're all looking at our phones? Yeah. You should there should be uh, one for Twitter where it's like you get in in a scuff with That's somebody, it. a little that was roll, it. dust up. That was, that was it. Oh, that was That's one? real? So, yeah, because Smithereen was supposed to be Twitter and then they had something called Persona, which was supposed to be Facebook, and then they had another thing that was supposed to be Lyft. Uh so it was like combining all, or Uber, they were combining all those things into smithereens, which I guess was supposed to be a one-stop shop for them. But it, yeah, I mean, what you find out at the end is it's literally Twitter, because everyone's getting notifications, push notifications about this thing happening, oh. which, in, which, in, which in turn causes its own, like, you know, Rubik's Cube or, you know, thing of, like, other people getting crashed and well, getting I, I, crashed. I was going to say, like, every time you get in a heated argument with somebody on Twitter, you uh, are sucked into the same room as them. Oh, that'd be cool. Oh. Like, it's about me? Like, yeah. fighting yeah. with yeah. David Simon and shit? <laughs> you can clearly be in Most Hated in the Nation, which is the episode about killer bees. Which was basically, if you're mean on social media, killer bees are going to come and swarm into your eyeballs. <laughs> oh, I remember that one. That is a twist. 
Ellen is yeah, also I, kind of about like Twitter and that that Ron Johnston book or whatever. Uh, you guys were all staring at I, our bees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think. Oh, what about oh sorry. Go. Wait, John. Ron Johnson. Ronson. John uh, Ronson. That that's yeah. his name. John Ronson. Yeah. Is the name of the book. Yeah. It's a good book. It could be a really good twist if instead of making another season of Black Mirror, they give Delocated an extra season we didn't think they were yes. going to have. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Or if it's just like a John Glazer-based season where he's in every episode somewhere <laughs> in the back. <laughs> Identify <Yeah>. John Glazer. <laughs> you compromise. Give him the face mask and the voice changer. Yeah, give him the face mask, but he's going to be in there. <laughs> yeah, that Smithereens episode bummed me out because... Uh, Obviously, that guy's a great actor, but the, like the, like, I was able to get into it while I was watching it. But then, kind of in the shower the next day, I was thinking about it. I was like, "This is fucking dumb." You felt so dirty afterwards. The the concept that the Twitter app is named Smithereen is not a double entendre on anything. It only <laughs> only serves to that be as like a a like a reference to the the gunshot at the end of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And there's no there's no reason in the world to name your app Smithereen. I mean, what is that? Like, what does that pretend, portend? What does that portend except, like, everything going up in a flame of violence? It's not even what app names sound like. They're all, like, one syllable <laughs> and have letters taken out and shit. Yeah, um, it might be just Smither. <laughs> so as a statement of our time, overall, Black Mirror, I guess, is just saying uh, everyone's trying really hard and it's bad. Or like, you know, I think the funniest meme I've seen about it so far is Black Mirror season one, maybe a life mediated and experienced solely through digital reflections of itself isn't worth living. Black Mirror season five. Imagine if you could stuck your friend's dick in Street Fighter. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a little bit derivative, but like, I think I think we get the point there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I guess, uh... I'm on the fence. I think there's some people that are, are kind of at uh, at the, they're done with it. They're kind of like this this premise has run its course. I thought Bandersnatch was fucking tight. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm down I for it was more. Cool. Um, before we get out of Black Mirror, can you just tell me like a little bit about Charlie Brooker? Because I don't really know like the mind behind Black Mirror. Okay, so why. Charlie Brooker's actually fucking awesome. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still on Netflix, but there's a show called Dead Set, which is literally he used to he used to run this sort of satirical thing in the newspaper that I could totally by the way when I was first forming the idea for TV download it was like a real inspiration of like what weird satire could be because he used to have a, a, a site or a part of like a guardian or part of like a big website where he basically ran down a bunch of like listings they were almost like listings of the week of best TV to watch and they'd have like one sentence bios but they were all fucking made up they were just they were just completely made up shows that were like supposed to be like commenting on today's topics at large and i wish i had like an example of that but i don't um off the top of my head i'll, I'll send it along to source material but uh dead set is a show that you can actually watch that he created which is basically big brother so it's not like it's not like a it's not a comparison it's not a fake big show it's actually britain's like big brother which is a huge huge show over there um but like everyone else in the world is zombies and they and the people stuck inside the little big brother house have like no idea that that's happening on the outside because Big Brother like kind of keeps them in weird seclusion, where the only way that they can actually like interact with the real world is via this one hash. And this is all exactly how Big Brother is. So it's full dead set, and I believe it's still on Netflix. It's it's a fucking trip to watch. Oh, cool. But uh, that's kind of like his background was always kind of coming up with these weird uh, metaphors for technology and especially entertainment technology. Um, 
And look, you watch that first episode of Black Mirror, and I remember watching it in the Observer's office with headphones on, and then in the middle of it starts screaming to the girl next to me, oh my god, that guy's going to fuck a pig. <laughs> <laughs> and if that is like the perfect you know, state of America today, I don't know what is. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it cool. that they love Big Brother in the UK? Like that's. Just I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. They're saying with the fucking celebrity Big Brother. Um, this I don't know why this just reminded me of something, but a, a, a perfect uh, middle point between like the uh, Dead Set and Cube is uh, <laughs> probably this weird mini series. I, I can't remember. I used to be on one of those big websites. I want to say like Funny or Die, but have you ever seen Sex House? Oh my god, it was The Onion, and it was only for their YouTube station, and yes, I remember Sex House so well. You mean <laughs> My Apartment? <laughs> Damn. The guy Miley wants the- Cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> the guy wins the Tombstone Pizza Contest and gets put in the Sex House is, yeah. is the funniest bit of all time. Yeah, yeah. yeah if you're listening and you've never seen Sex House, it's like, I don't know, fucking eight episodes long or something, but it's, it's fucking really funny. It starts off as just like this... Uh, yeah, a guy wins a contest and he ends up in like a reality show, like MTV sort of thing, and then just he's slowly... like middle aged kids. It's fucking funny. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he looks like the guy from uh, God Bless America or whatever, like a real dorky middle aged man, and like, uh, and then slowly they just discover that their like doors are locked from the outside and shit, and there's all this dystopian shit. All happening. the food is moldy. Like they only get like free lube to eat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That itself is a perfect Black Mirror episode. I bet, like, Charlie Brooker's sitting there, like, wanking off, being like, ah, I didn't think of this. Why did I think of this? <laughs> yeah. um, so, I, I guess, uh, moving on a little bit, the the, the thesis of this episode I, uh, in my head is sort of loosely formed as, like, well, Black Mirror, fuck that, Cube better, right? Um, yes. You uh, much better Black I, Mirror. I want to ask you probably everything possible about Cube, because um, if uh, if... Our listeners had never seen it. Well, I'll put a thing up front to, to you know, you should probably watch this movie if you want to understand everything we're talking about. But um, I remember I watched this movie when I was in high school, and then I was watching it again just sort of lazily a couple years ago when, you know, Netflix puts every horror movie ever on uh, the roster. And, like, I think I was t- tweeting something negative about it and uh, was incorrect, and I apologize. Uh, but, That's gross. But, but I made you really <laughs> mad about it and uh, realized that I didn't. Th- I don't think I was fully appreciating what was going on in Cube, and then I rewatched it after reading all this crazy stuff about it, and no, I'm a big Cube fan now. Oh my god, Cube is the best movie of all time, and yeah, you, you probably were wrong. I'm sorry if I came off a little harsh. But <laughs> You're really I'm mad. Wiki for like since college, basically. I think it's I'm sorry. Really? Say that again. I don't think the I think the audio went out. Oh, for a second. sorry. I have somebody like myself who's been editing the Wikipedia page for Cube since college. Respect. Like there's there's a lot going on in that fucking movie. Um, and I think what originally started this conversation, Jake, is that I got very upset when somebody compared Cube, like in a BuzzFeed article. It was an article called "What You Should Watch Based on Your Favorite Black Mirror." And they kind of threw away the idea of the bees episode being a comparison to Cube. And I don't know why, but it like really stuck in my craw and I got really fucking angry. Because in my mind, Cube is the movie that Charlie Brooker, like, it's like his thesis statement is the movie Cube. And he just didn't get there first. So instead we have like a bunch of shitty Black Mirror episodes and really Cube says everything that he wants to say Hmm. in like a tight, you know, 90 minute period of time. Right. There's no Cube with bees in it. (laughs) (laughs) There's no Cube. 
bees in cube? They didn't get to all the rooms, though. There might be bees in there. <laughs> yeah. They got to That's bees' the room. room. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we should at least explain the premise of Cube. Sure, yeah. Uh, for Well, Drew, do you want to explain the you know plot I'm of Cube? Really, I'm going to play it really safe, guys. I'm just going to read the wiki that I wrote at one period in time. Yeah, you wrote <laughs> it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cube is a 1997 Canadian science fiction horror film uh, directed by Vincenzo Natali. Um it was a product of the Canadian Film Center's first featured project, which means the $350,000 budget of the film was mostly underwritten by Canada the Nation. And the film follows a group of people as they cross an industrial cube-sized room, some rigged with various traps designed to kill them. Mm. See, a lot of people consider it, you know, it seems like an allegory for the Internet or society, prisons or whatever. I really think it's an allegory for Canada. <laughs> That's the big metaphor. You are exactly 100% right that it's an allegory of Canada, because one time, uh, well, we'll get into it, but the director, I actually asked him on Twitter one time, is this movie supposed to take place in Canada or in the U.S.? Because they have several things that can reference either way. Right. He tweeted back, no, it's a very specific Canadian version of hell. <laughs> Sorry, you're in a just cube. being stuck in some rooms with people you don't like and having to make nice. I don't know. <laughs> There's well, a moose in that room. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I guess like dry pancakes, we have nothing to put on them. Yeah. <laughs> at uh, at first watch, it seems to be just this sort of like basic Twilight Zone episode of like, you know, oh my god, a bunch of people, you know. They get taken away in the night, and they wake up in this cube, and they have to work together and slowly learn stuff about each other to try to escape from this unexplained like prison torture experiment they're in. But uh, if you you know look at the Wikipedia and read all this crazy shit, one of the things you learn is that like so they all they all wake up in these jumpsuits, and the jumpsuits have their last names on them, and so because of that, they all start sort of like referring to each other by their last names and all of those last names are the names of prisons in real life and dun 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 <laughs> and correspond to their personality which they, is just amazing yeah they correspond to their personalities um, the French guy is a French prison the woman is a women's prison um, well not, not just that basic but like if you look into like what San Quentin is known for Quentin being the, the brutal cop of the, the movie that you first think is going to be the savior it kind of descends into this animalistic violence. Well, what is San Quentin known for? Except like being one of these, uh, you know, institutions that just have horrific rates of like guard to prisoner violence. Johnny Cash. Yeah, Johnny Cash. Also. Well, and two of the characters, there's Levin and Worth. Like when you combine them, equal Leavenworth, uh -huh. which is like a prison that I think is like has one of the most recidiv best recidivism rates. Is that what it's called? Like they let prisoners out. And those prisoners actually have a good chance of melting back into society. Oh. And those the two characters that almost made it to the end. Which is too uh, bad because they do not make it out of the cube. <laughs> uh, no, they do not make it out of the cube. But they got really close, you guys. There was a part of me that was like, I just want you to punish me and let this cop out of the cube. <laughs> <laughs> I want him to write up a report at the end. It was like, it was at this moment I ascertained I was inside a cube. <laughs> Using tactical cube maneuvers, I hit the autistic guy. <laughs> I I liked see I liked him at first and it seemed yeah. sort of like intentional that he was written that way. It's like you, you sympathy. He seems like the protagonist at first. Yeah. Well, and, and then his weird like thing with the with Le uh worth no Levin. Yeah, the thing with the girl it just gets like increasingly creepy until it reaches like a, a point where you're like, oh, he's gonna rape her in this cube. That's like a trap. Like. 
he actually is the one who picks up on the fact that the people themselves are traps to each other. And he himself becomes like the trap of the entire cube. Yeah. Right. There's a part before he fully snaps where they're trying to get away from him. And I was thinking like, I understand why we don't like him anymore because he's a murderer and insane, but there's no reason you have to get away from him yet. And then he starts rubbing people's faces and going on a murder spree. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, just to set up like the characters, they all have sort of a an attribute that's like could help get out of the cube. Like uh, Quentin's a cop, and we have the the eleven. He the can math. hit someone if they're too loud. <laughs> yeah, we got the math girl. Yeah, we got a mentally challenged guy named Kazan, which is a Russian prison that you can actually look into, and it's got a lot of fucked up, crazy shit. Kazan, the prison is is fucking mental. Um, and it makes sense that it's like a mentally challenged guy who can kind of rain man his way yeah. Uh, through first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, it seems like they saw rain man and we're like, yeah. And then rain man's in the cube. I mean, see, I love, <laughs> I love the ending. Cause it was basically the future belongs to autistic redheads. Well, <laughs> yeah. it, for background drew, I, I Anders is an autistic redhead. I mean, oh, I know. I'm not like the guy in the movie. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. Not as, I'm not as smart as him. <laughs> no, no, I can't do math. Self-identified autistic person. I did want to ask you what you thought about the representation of autism in the movie. I mean, there are people like that. Yeah, I, but that's a, that's a, like, uh, I mean, goes back to my um, thesis, which is that like it's such a wide spectrum that like, you know, obviously I'm not like that guy like he can do he's great at math i'm sucking math and uh obviously very um good at interpersonal intelligence communication right uh, and he like can't have an apartment by himself yeah oh, he's got yeah. the cube he lives in the right. cube <laughs> right so, but i mean here's an interesting part of the movie too is that you know the cartesian coordinates which are supposed to be such a big part of the thing all the math they actually hired a mathematician. they used like some of that three hundred fifty thousand dollars that they got from uh the canadian government and just blew it all on like a mathematician to make sure that every single coordinate of that room that they bring up is uh, is actually true, and that it actually fits the math. That's which- so funny because like yeah. no one would have noticed if they had fudged it at all. No. <laughs> yeah. I'll just believe you if you start doing stuff like that. <laughs> but another funny thing about that is that uh, we should probably talk about this. It was like funded by the Canadian government, yeah. and what's yeah. Even more meta about that is that at one point we discovered this guy, uh, Worth, is someone who like worked on the cube, and he's a guy who works on like government projects and stuff like that. And he has all these sort of like uh, interesting. He worked from home on the cube. He worked from <laughs> home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he knows more about this. So at first he comes off as sort of the bad guy because he you can tell he he has information that he's not sharing with the rest of the class, so to speak. But when he does share it. It's literally is a Charlie Brooker thesis statement. Like it is, it is literally, and I'm not going to try to like do the whole message here, but like he gives a whole thing where he's like, yeah, like what's wrong with this project? Like it isn't real. Like we just have to put people in it or like explain that it's worthless. And we created this thing without like a, like a head of the machine. We have no point of it. And like the whole thing's pointless. So they put people in it because otherwise you'd have to say it was a gigantic blunder. And like, we'd have to admit that it was a perpetual public works project. If the cube itself, is the DEA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's right, man. Like it's just it has no purpose until you put people in it. In which case, it still has no purpose. Like it is just a ineffectual like government mistake. And if that isn't like the most fucking Black Mirror thing I've ever heard, like yeah, no, this is Black Mirror. This is the like quintessential Black Mirror episode that was just made 
way before Black Mirror ever got on board. Yeah, and I think that's also like kind of uh, what you know honestly got me thinking about it as relevant to our show being about um, you know politics and shit like that. Is it like the the there's a lot of meat in this guy's like weird soliloquies about public works projects and uh, yeah. and it being a metaphor for well it, it also being in, in a meta sense a public works project like the movie. Um, but what he's exactly. What he's talking about is is being this guy who worked on the very machine that they're in is like, um, you know, I mean, obviously, because it's also an allegory about prisons, he's talking about like, um, you know, like the the prison industrial complex, which is a thing that they refer to in the, they refer to the military industrial complex in the beginning uh, with the cop. But but these big industrial complexes being things that um, that sort of you know, don't have one big mastermind at the top of it. It's just a self-perpetuating thing that needs, you know, can't be dismantled by, uh, you know, taking out one person. And the horror of it is that it just like it, it functions capitalistically in that it like it, it needs to take in people and will never sort of stop, um, I'm going to fulfill, fulfill its purpose. It is also like the military in that way. And that like, yes. you know, you could very pr- probably pretty easily argue like we don't need all this fucking military in America right now. But the thing itself just functionally has to keep sucking in people and then just like killing people. You Do know? you want us to have less cubes than our enemies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And but, it is. So, I mean, sorry. that's what's really fucking brilliant about it though right like at the first at the first like that of course quentin can't see it he doesn't understand because he's the cop he doesn't understand how this is like happening but weren't you like worked on one part of it you know he was just a cog in the machine has a totally different outlook about what this is and is totally uh you know way more fatalistic and truer to what the grand design actually is which is like nothing it means nothing they put people in it or else admit that they made a mistake and they're not going to admit that they made a mistake, so people go in there. Like, it's pointless. It's so pointless, and it's so beautiful for that very reason. <laughs> right. I mean, he's sort of uh, uh, worth, the guy who worked for the project sort of negates um, the view of Holloway, who's the, the doctor, yeah. and she's saying that, kind of what we were saying earlier, like, this is the military-industrial complex, this is a conspiracy. Uh, oh, right, right. She's saying it's a conspiracy. He's like, it's so much worse than a conspiracy. Right, right. That nobody knows what the fuck it is. Like, it is no idea what's going on. Yeah. Um, it's worse. But it, it struck me how, like, int- like, I feel like that was maybe sort of a 90s thing where... Um, like today, someone with that type of point of view, I think in pop culture would be characterized as like a basement dwelling, like dude in a hoodie, like kind of a parent. But at the time, you were there was just kind of like, uh, yeah, you're a radical feminist who also complains about the Pentagon, like all that stuff was kind of lumped together. Oh, he's an extreme '90s dude. No, I'm talking about Holloway. The oh well, yeah, let him lecture the woman who's like a conspiracy theorist yeah. about how this it's actually going to go down. <laughs> right. <laughs> He yeah. was, though. He's just like the office space guy. I could not get over him for the first 45 minutes of the film because they'll ask him any question. He'll be like, you want to know yeah. how to get out of a cube when the cube is inside? And they're just like, I asked you where your boot is. <laughs> office space. Another. Yeah, he is very s- similar to Ron Livingston's character from that. It was a very you know typical 90s thing uh how like they yeah they feel like a cognitive machine and it's like at the end of the movie he could have got out and doesn't for no reason because <laughs> he's broken <laughs> yeah it's just soulless yeah. yeah 
It's uh, funny, but since I don't know most of you, like besides Jake, I'm kind of just picturing you guys as that dude. Like there's just two of you. Right. We all kind of look like that dude. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes yeah, Andrews has a beard. <laughs> we go to work at our podcast factory. We... <laughs> the cube is fucking yeah. It is you a make metaphor a widget, for the podcast. The widget yeah. makes a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast makes a derivative. We say podcast. nothing about anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is actually why Cube is brilliant, though, because or at least in terms of the Canadian U.S. thing, which was a big problem of mine for a while, which is if it's supposed to take place in Canada, there is no Quentin, right? Like, they don't have the, the kind of epic, or at least at the time, as I understood it, they didn't have the perpetual, like, uh, you know, cop violence. Although now that I've been reading about it, Canada has a totally horrible cop violence issue when it comes to Aborigine people. Yes. But I think at the time, like, this must take place in America. They have some things about uh, New Mexico and, you know, when Holloway's talking about conspiracy theories. And then there's one line, there's literally just one line where Worth is talking about, I think it's Worth or possibly Holloway that's talking about all the different elements. And they're like, you just have a guy sitting up there in Saskatoon making like a yeah. fight. And that's where I was like, huh, wait, this is underwritten by the Canadian government. Is it? This is like an anti-Canada film? <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious. How did that happen? Because I'm looking now, they got uh, Jean Cretan, who was the prime minister at the time, who I guess was yeah. a, a liberal uh maybe sort of the left of of Trudeau is now but like how did they get that funding is that just is that just movies I think in they Canada just have every... arts funding yeah they just and we don't okay is that it everyone has by the way this isn't this isn't just Canada everyone has that fucking system except for us where we fund where they fund the arts right and, and it doesn't matter what the message is you know there's no there's no uh you know taping everyone's mouth shut if your money gets picked up by the Canadian government or the British government it's not like you can't criticize these people which right. when I think about it that we just assume that that's how it would work. Like, that's so sad that we think if you're going to have this money underwritten by the government, you can't say anything negative about Canada. Right. It's Why not? Yeah. It's we, like we're the one country that goes out of our way to, like, enumerate free speech, but then we don't, like, m- let it happen. Well, we it's have like, a roundabout pipeline to the movie industry through the military where we right. give them oh, money to make jets that crash, and then they put them in Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's way more money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's useless. Well, we'll get to make the cube when we start using the cube in the military in, in Iran. To, so, you know. so here's actually what's the one other brilliant part about cube is I, I don't know if they ran out of funding or this is always how they conceived of it but there is no cube right if they built that whole sound set like michael bay style that would take forever and probably people would get lost and die in there i was obsessed (laughs) with this on the on the way here i mean like the idea that you could make a movie that's just one room you shine different lights through yes it is one one and a half rooms they had one giant room and then they had another half soundstage built so you could look so basically what cube is is you are trapped inside these moving sort of Rubik's Cube rooms that move around and, and clink together at different times and spaces. And only one in only one iteration, they actually make a bridge that can help go over into like the main room and get out of the cube. But in actuality, they didn't build, they didn't build like, you know, 28, 29 rooms that can be interlocking. They built one room, they built half of another room so they could peer out into the next room in case there were any quote unquote trap rooms. And that's it. And they just shot it with different lighting filters and from different angles. And because there's uh, six different ways you can enter any given room, you know, there's the four dimensions we think of, and then there's also the top and the bottom. That was it. They just they just made 
one room Genius. and a half. That would be really and funny if real- they uh, if they did build an entire giant cube, <laughs> and then at the end of it, somebody was like, "What if we just built one room and then shot it from different angles?" And they were like, "Oh, <laughs> put him in the cube." <laughs> yeah. But I say that because. Uh, <laughs> My mind, what happened was they were like, oh, shit, we ran out of money due to all the money we gave to the mathematician. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they had to get creative with it. Um, that's why they have a mathematician budget, because they don't have a fucking locations guy. I say that because <laughs> it, that reminded me of a similar sci-fi story, which is, um, you know, funny, uh, which is that in, in um, is it either Alien or Aliens, the one that I think it's the second one, the one that has the, uh, the android guy. That's um, the first one. Yeah. Or the first one. Bishop. Oh, yeah. He's, there's a scene where he um, he does a five oh, finger yeah. fillet where yeah, he wait. he does that thing where you take a knife and you chop between your fingers on a table or whatever. Uh-huh. And he's an android, and so he's really good at it. And so he's like, and there's like sawdust flying everywhere, and everyone's like, holy shit, he's not cutting his hand. And uh, apparently, the guy who played him read the script, and then he practiced that for like days and days and days, and he cut his fucking hands up and shit. And he was like, you know, I'm gonna be an actor about this, like be able to fucking nail this scene. And then he got into the scene and he started doing it, and they stopped him. And they were like, dude, we're just gonna just do it slow. We're just gonna speed it up. <laughs> <laughs> and he had like almost chopped all his fingers off and shit. Fucking method <laughs> actors. I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm bad with actors. I just know he kills uh maybe he puts a newspaper in Ripley's mouth. He tries to commit a murder he with a newspaper. <laughs> he tries to murder her with definitely a magazine or a newspaper. That's the most roundabout way of murdering anyone. That's way harder <laughs> than using your hands. It's, it's also very like on the nose. Here, just eat all these magazine words. <laughs> it's eat fu- your words. It's funny because <laughs> I used to, I, full disclosure, uh, don't like to admit this, but I did study acting for a time. And oh, wow. I had. I thought you were cool. One of my instructors. <laughs> Uh, told this story about how Dustin Hoffman stayed up for like 48 hours for Marathon Man uh, because his oh. character was up for 48 hours. And he's like, what? That just shows such a dedication, such a commitment to the role. And then I had another instructor a few years later who was like, yeah, he did that. And then Laurence Olivier, who was also in the yes. movie, said, um, it was like Dustin Hoffman told him that and he was like really unimpressed by it. And Dustin yes. Hoffman's like, what? You don't, uh, you don't like that? And Lawrence Olivier is like, my dear boy, it's called acting. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I by the way, there have been so many worse Dustin Hoffman stories to like hit the print after that. Like how he used Meryl Streep's like dead husband at the time as like way to like get her upset enough to cry during Jeez. Kramer versus Kramer until the point where she slapped him in the face. And then, like, I got that on camera. But, like, honestly, we know how good Meryl Streep is. You don't need to invoke her dead husband and, like, get slapped across the face oh, in wow. order for yeah. her to deliver a terrific performance. I just I watched uh, Holy Mountain, and I was reading about the Wikipedia page about it. And apparently Yodorowsky went to, like, a, a Japanese Zen master, and the guy made him stay awake for a week <laughs> before he wrote She's- the movie. Lawrence Olivier is not impressed. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're writing something, I feel like that's kind of a different thing i don't know yeah i mean with dustin hoffman too it seems like he's got kind of a spotty record with with like dealing with women and maybe he uses uh <laughs> method as like a way of fucking getting away with shit i mean that's i think it's actually a very good point that i was kind of circuitously rounding out which is like yeah he's terrible with women however if you think about it for a second he actually created the the daniel day lewis there will be blood character in hook like a decade before, two decades before. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Voice. And it's the same exact fucking guy. 
But, uh, well, yeah, Captain Focus, yeah. If I told well, you your husband was dead, what would you say? Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, oh, I mean, <laughs> well, Paul Thomas Anderson, who made There Will Be Blood, we're getting off a tangent here, sorry, but uh, a lot of people say that the master is sort of the the cult that in the movie, it's like not so much about Scientology as it yeah. is method acting. Like he kind of, yeah. Interesting. Like cult of, yeah. Because he, he got two guys that are pretty good at method acting to prove that point. I mean, <laughs> if I tell and, uh, them to drink mouthwash, they'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We I watched that uh, Joker trailer and I just think of that scene in, in The Master where he's just walking back and forth across the room for like 45 minutes. You're like, yeah, that would make anyone fucking nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work with this waiter who would uh, come into work with like his. Uh, shirt tucked in all weird and stand all hunched over and frown at people and um and then i he would just do it every once in a while and then i watched the master and i was talking to him about it and he was like you know how i come in with my shirt tucked weird sometimes and i, I stare at people just because i like that movie a lot and i was just doing that to be like <laughs> that character that walking phoenix character he was just so bored with his job he was like oh okay so this wasn't like he was trying to get method in that character no he thought it was funny <laughs> oh that's actually kind of that's awesome like a weird troll like yeah, somebody yeah. who comes to trolling that's pretty good like a bartleby the scrivener type shit like yeah, exactly. I would prefer not to. I prefer not to. Yeah. <laughs> he was putting uh, the the table in a cube of his own design. <laughs> <laughs> I did that for a while after I watched uh, Buffalo '66 in high school. I would just like walk around to different shots and be like, "Can I use your bathroom?" In like the <laughs> Vincent Gallo walk. Man, that's even better because I don't know what that movie is. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a cool King Crimson song in it. Anyway, um, getting back to Cube a little bit. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the director? Like you said, you've like. Yes, I'm obsessed with the director. So if you guys haven't seen it, he also did that movie Splice, which like we'll forgive him for because Splice is an awful movie. Like there, there's just no getting around Splice. However, if you also go on Netflix, you can see Haunter with Abigail Breslin. I believe that's still up there. And it is fucking phenomenal. Haunter. It's basically it's basically Cube, but set in a house. And it's also Beetlejuice. <laughs> it's a d- uh, sequel to Detective Pikachu, and it's about the Pokemon Haunter. <laughs> uh, no, it's it's about a girl who's who just sort of the first twist of it. And it's not even a twist; is to say the girl is dead, and her and her family are looping through the same day over and over, like Groundhog's Day style. And they can't, you know, she's kind of woken up to the fact she's a little bit woke, but even she's not totally there. And then it's all these different iterations of people like that are not ghosts, but that she's communicating with who might actually still be alive and might suffer the same fate as her and her family, and she has to find a way to communicate with them. It is a really, really fucking good movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also, on this Beetlejuice, so what? We all work on Beetlejuice. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like it's also Canadian. It's cog in the machine, man. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the same director. He's Canadian. What's his name again? Yeah, Vincenzo Natali. Hmm. So he's, you know, Italian Canadian man. Italian Mr. Canada. Possibly <laughs> Jewish? I don't know. And he made like one of the sequels because there's like a bunch of sequels and then like uh, uh, even outside of that there's all these like ins- weird like knockoffs like Sphere and Circle and shit like that. Oh fuck. How do you oh, yeah, Sphere? Sphere? You know what? Let's not even fucking talk about Circle. I know and Circle <laughs> is also on Netflix and you could be very I feel like Circle's it's bad. It's bad that Circle exists on Netflix because people are going to confuse it for Cube. Even mm. the people that see BuzzFeed article listed it higher up in the ranking and they listed Cube. <laughs> fuck. Um, and that's People that don't know their shapes are going to get very confused. (laughs) I'm in here because I know shapes. (laughs) Fear 
there's a Dustin Hoffman movie uh, to bring it back full circle, I believe, full which circle? is weird. Full uh, circle. The only way out of the cute. circle is to give me a little kiss. I <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you know, Cube is uh, well. First of all, like okay, going on to his wikia, like his biggest in- inspirations, uh, Vincenzo Natali was Samuel Beckett, Cronenberg, and Terry Gilliam. Uh, and, like, that I just, makes a lot of sense. This guy, I just want to be friends with him. He just seems awesome. Like, fuck yeah. I that guy's that... awesome. But, but, uh, but Cube actually, so it was made for $350,000. It bring in $9 million at the box office, which is pretty impressive considering it's like a first run. It's a and first that's Canadian money, so that's like That's Canadian, right? No, it's $50, but they've adjusted for America. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, you're not the math guy Andrew let it go but they Andrew's auditioned for that part back when he (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't add Um, I mean it's interesting that he's I could definitely see the Beckett influence there Um, yes and one of the criticisms I was reading is that people felt like the dialogue was people didn't like the dialogue but but their their point I guess is that it's unrealistic which I, I I, you know, sure, it's unrealistic, but uh, the style, I mean, it's also, it's almost like a play, like the way it's written. It's like every character um, is very erudite, uh, which you don't yes. see that often, you know, like, would, and that's kind of better. Like you, I would prefer that to like a bunch of people talking like me, like a bunch of ums and. Yeah, a lot about ums. Or, yeah, it's not the most naturalistic dialogue, but then again, it's not the most naturalistic plot. Right. Are just, yes. Right. Just, yeah. Perfect excuse. What do you want them to do? Talk like idiots? You don't know it's how the wire how you'd act in that situation. <laughs> yeah, you just put in a cube. your vocabulary goes up by a thousand percent. Well, it's also like yeah, it it would it does kind of remind you of a play because it's such like a bottle episode type thing when you watch it, and it does kind of it made episode. me think like this would be a really cool live action play for someone to try to put on with like yeah, yeah like that one sort of if they had like you know like a revolving just that set with like three of them that they could like go in and out of and shit right and they have to rap the whole time oh. <laughs> yeah it's the Lin-Manuel Miranda's cube <laughs> what's funny is that okay so I'm just reading this one review from the San Francisco Chronicle where they try to like shit on this guy because they say if writer director Vincenzo Natale storyboard artist for Keanu Reeves Johnny Murnomic like as a way to like diss him well, first of all, I didn't know that, but that's fucking awesome. Like, great job, Ben. Because although Johnny Mnemonic is not the greatest film, you can imagine the storyboards for Johnny Mnemonic, Mnemonic being incredible. Like, now I just want to go Google the storyboards for that movie. Because that movie has a killer dolphin that kills Dolph Lundgren. So <laughs> Whoa. I Whoa. That's Dol- one of our yes. strongest men. Dolphin Lundgren. <laughs> Dolph Lundgren is killed by an actual dolphin. So... <laughs> I don't know what you fucking want. Starting at Dolphin Lundgren and working backwards, we will make a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, <laughs> Dolphin <laughs> Lundgren. Wait, does it box him? Does it... No, no, just like it comes out and like, I think shoot. <laughs> oh, wait, no, I'm confusing him with that other, the Rocky, never mind. I mean, so, Dolphin Lundgren's in Rocky. <laughs> oh, he is. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, well, actually, he is a genius guy who went to MIT and got like a, a degree in like, what robotics or something? Dolph Lundgren's actually like an actual genius. That's so. right. And if he were yeah. in a cube, he would have a hard time picking his function because he's all <laughs> commonly known as a famous fake boxer. But actually, he's True. a genius. True. <laughs> <laughs> the autistic guy. Uh, <laughs> he's he's everyone. If you combine uh, them all, the angry cop yeah. and the math genius. Yeah, combine them all, and you get one Dolph Lundgren <laughs> and half a Dolph. 
Um, something I've been kind of thinking about is like the archetypal nature of like all the characters being like, you know, these kind of, uh, like embodiments of a, what is it? What is that called? I'm looking for a fucking $10 word from English class. They're, um, oh, yeah. um yeah. allegorical or whatever the fuck. Um, you know, they're all these living things or whatever. It's fun. You know, this is one of those movies that's fun to watch and then project yourself into and go, which one am I? Or like, which one, what's my friend group or whatever. I was watching it. And since I'm uh, uh sober and smoking a lot of cigarettes and drinking a lot of coffee, I was like the cop in my head. Uh, and it was a movie about trying to make a podcast. And uh, <laughs> it's just like, we're never going to get out of this cube cast thing um yeah we were all talking about uh before this we started recording just what we would do in a cube situation <laughs> it's just sitting down and accusing each other of being cops <laughs> uh, Drew, who, 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 who do you think you are in the cube what's your um what's your role in what's the cube? your function me i know i've thought about this a million times i'm like their girl friends the cop really quickly and gets like to the end of the game it's like see ya like i'm definitely I'm definitely the archetypal woman character that does not actually exist in this film because they're too smart to write a woman character like this. But yeah, I'm the, I'm the cop tease. I don't know what you want to call it. I'm the only one who believes in this cop. <laughs> He's a good hey, man. Not, this guy. <laughs> he just keeps trying to kill the autistic guy because he's angry right now and he hasn't eaten. I think I actually <laughs> like the, the sole office space guy the most, but they're all fun. Oh, he was pissing me off for the first you know, 45 you know, minutes, but he was cool. There's things that you can learn from the movie Cube. Like before, I I saw Cube. I don't think I'd gone hiking that much. But ever since, like I've been like, nah, you, you go hiking. You're anywhere with like a lack of supply of water. What do you do? Bring a button. Like suck on a button that keeps the saliva moving in your mouth. That's something I would not have known. Oh yeah. Unless well, you would have learned that if you had met the strange French man uh, halfway into your hike that teaches you yeah, valuable knowledge about the cube. Terrible fate as he gets like you know poisoned to death with beard. His fucking like, face got melted off with acid. Melted off by acid. Oh, <laughs> I love cube so much. Oh yeah, Ren. Yeah, I guess it's also it's it's I'm trying to figure out what this reminds me of like when you have a big set of people that all have different qualities like that. It's like kind of like when you play like a and d game or something right. like that. It is literally the phrase Kafka S, but without like pretentious meaning. Just on a base level, it is a Kafka S story. I'm also there's also something about it. I'm trying to write the millennial review thing in my head, which is either that yeah, it's, yeah. it's about escape rooms or that it's oh like <laughs> okay. or that. Escape rooms. Or what? You're right. It's about escape rooms. I hadn't gotten that far with like a new modern interpretation, but it is 100% about escape rooms. It's the mo- it's the fucking it's the hottest escape room in Canada or whatever. <laughs> I don't like when you're in an escape room. Only one of you gets to be the funny guy. So if there's like three <laughs> yeah. funny guys, you can't all be funny. It's an escape situation. Yeah, you can't all be the cynical office space guy. One of you has to be the woman. That's the other thing I was thinking <laughs> of is that uh, like the millennial reboot of this movie would be like kind of far darker because Molly Cyrus is in it but she's a cyborg well just the, like <laughs> yeah <laughs> she's one character and then the rest of the characters that we would insert into it that are like avatars for ourselves and our own lives have skills that aren't useful in this like yeah. uh, old school like evolutionary survival way we all just know how to like <laughs> walk dogs uh, yeah I know a lot about archetypes <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Query whether if you were given Wi-Fi service in your own phone yeah. Like how much <laughs> you wouldn't be able to get out necessarily if nobody on the internet knew what this thing was. But your ability to <laughs> <laughs> well, should the, it's funny because the quickly. What's that? 
Your ability to wiki stuff really quickly might come in handy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just imagining a situation where you're Googling, what do I do in the cube? And then it's just yeah. like <laughs> spin off reviews you for things. Yeah. You can't post on Insta, but you can do stories. And you have to communicate <laughs> to the outside world through that. Um, you have to make the cube thirsty. <laughs> I really liked yeah. a, a choice that was made early on that kind of hooked me into the movie because I wasn't sure about it at first, but this like got my attention, was uh, the Ren character, who's yeah. uh, a, th- a thief. That's his thing. Or not a thief, an escape he's artist. He's escape artist. Yeah, yeah. he's escaped. He's based on, right, he's the, based on the, uh, the Birdman of Attica. Oh, okay. So he was uh, based on a real guy. Wait, but, oh, uh, oh, oh, say it again. He's based on who? So there's a phrase called the Birdman of Attica that was... Uh, who was a very, it's actually based on another uh, prison in France called Rene, but uh, when he said that he's known as the Birdman of Attica and he flew the coop, that actually was a real guy who was like called the Birdman because he kept a lot of birds and who did manage to escape from like really like sort of like Houdini-esque escapes from giant prisons. Hmm. Cool. Well, they have the Canadian version of him in this movie. and uh, French. <laughs> well, he's, I thought he was French-Canadian. Anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, but the but what I liked is that um, is they set it up as like, oh wow, this guy's a a master escape artist. He's gonna lead us. He's gonna be kind of um, a big part of the movie, like him showing his tricks and things. And then he just like gets his face eaten by acid very quickly. <laughs> yeah, he's set down some ground rules for them. You know, he's kind of like Jamie Kennedy in Scream. They don't really need him past the first, you know, first test the first version of it. Yeah. It would yeah, have been too easy, so too. And his head's going to blow off. Yeah. <laughs> What's really good about it is, like, you watch movies now that were supposed to be so innovative, like the whole Saw franchise, which basically is just yanking the plot of, like, Cube and putting it, like, in a little bit different settings and making the traps a lot more gruesome. Like, I mean, Saw is Cube. Black Bear is Cube. All these things are Cube. They're all... <laughs> just, I definitely would say that they're all derivative of it, and that it's like it's it's kind of superior to all these things because they all seem to take uh, the concept in like a direction that like like Black Mirror or not Black Mirror uh, Saw kind of tries to make it about like morality and shit and like uh, and insert a reason why you're in this situation, whereas like yes. the central metaphor of cube is uh i don't know to me it's like more interesting and resonant there and, is no reason yeah that's like, why you're in the cube yeah it's like a, it's very existential you know not to mention saw is just in a basement right it's in basements well it's different uh, well, every the time. First one, then, they, then they kind of move it out so it's like it's a it's its own escape room house lab i don't know just when you not look to get at the shapes the less to work with <laughs> saw, saw is ho- brooklyn's hottest new escape room <laughs> <laughs> to chop your own <laughs> leg off Amazing though, if you watch those movies in order, it becomes like the last three movies, not not counting for Jigsaw. And I'm sorry, I'm such a nerd about this, but like the last three movies are all about uh, they're all about a state law. They're all about um, punishing people that were part of the subprime mortgage crisis. Whoa! Like, last three movies, it is literally just about punishing people who are like at fault for like the housing crisis of 2008. Holy it's shit! State- we'll have to do another episode about that. That's fucking tight. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I love it. I love that. I Is love the, the fucking movie good? No, it's terrible. And it's <laughs> not just one movie. It's the last three movies. It is all about insurance, what, like insurance salesmen. It's about uh, subprime mortgage dealers. It's about estate lawyers. It is fucking nuts. That's interesting. I saw a movie about saving for retirement. 
I just started yeah. watching uh, the Purge movies, and they have kind of a similar like trajectory yeah. where like, the first one is just kind of like, what if there was a Purge? And then as they get further into the the sequels, that yeah. in like in a cube-like situation, it's they would be getting worse. The sequels kind of get better in the Purge universe, and they become more yeah. about social issues and shit, and you can like... Well, yeah, even the first one is about social issues, right? Because you're living in a gated community that was kind of set up by uh, Ethan... Hawks like own money and his ability to think about different ways to lock your house down, which are proven very quickly. It's like the introduction of like a black character in this gated community. Be like, oh no, we're the awful people and are like, you know, our little prison structure means nothing. Right, right. Actually, I guess I have to watch the original one. I'm working my way backwards through them, and it's this weird. Uh, I don't watch the rest. You're twisted, man. <laughs> I'm the angel from hell, dude. Um. Oh, what if we were stuck in the cube with random? We can't even get into it. I can't. Uh, There's no time. There's not enough There's time. simply no time. Uh, we should probably wrap up here in a little bit. Uh, I'm sure you got places to be, and we're going to go do a thing. Um, cool. Any final thoughts, I guess, on Cube? I mean, just Cube is the, to me, like, Cube is the alpha, the omega. Like, it is it is the literal urtex from which a lot of dystopian shit is just trying to rip off at this point, whether or not they've seen the movie Cube. I don't think it even matters at this point. Whether or not you've seen the movie Cube, if you're trying to write a dystopia thing about people trapped in some sort of element, you are ripping off Cube. Like, yeah. go watch the movie Cube, mm. learn your lessons, like, take your medicine and come back to me with a better movie. Yeah, required viewing, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it's about autism now. Like, it's just this <laughs> yeah. thing. More and more people are getting put in, put in, and we're not thinking about the, the, the why, and uh, we're just kind of lost in this maze of the diagnostic regimen. You're thinking oh. of the follow-up sequel, Train. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh, that's fucked up. Um, it's a train that just runs in a... A cube shape. I don't know. Um, we, there's no time. It's just <laughs> no time. It's just autistic redheads running a train on each other. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's the last. That's the last line. It's also re- required viewing. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I guess we will wrap it up. Um, I am so glad we did this, Drew. I'm so happy yes. to fucking talk movies with you. Yes. Anytime, boys. Yeah. Guys, yeah. preferred name nomenclature. Ever. <laughs> we should all be going by our last names, I guess, for this episode. Yeah, exactly. I'm Frank. <laughs> I go by fellas. <laughs> um, awesome. Drew, where can my listeners read your stuff? Well, yeah, you. well, I'm over slider now. I'm I'm more of an editor than a writer, but you can always try to find me at Video Drew at anything. Um, I participate in the movie trivia showdown, which is a big thing out west. Not sure if you guys watch it, but it's uh it's a YouTube thing. And if you just type in Video Drew anywhere in your Google browser, you'll be able to find something of mine. Cool. What did you say about trivia? It's called Movie Trivia Schmodown. It's uh, hosted by Collider, which is the place I work. But uh, it's a pretty – it's imagine like WWE, but it's only movie trivia instead of like fighting. That's it. Oh. It's like, kind of, it's like character so nothing driven. nothing like WWE. Can you fuck your yeah, friends well, in it? Yeah. Is it like striking vipers? It's, yeah, <laughs> you can fuck your friends in it. Uh, a lot like striking vipers. My character is named Video Drew on there, so you can check me out. She's kind of awesome. Um, and yeah, check it out. 
Cool. All right. Uh, maybe I just want to plug anything before we fucking bounce. No, 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 no. Next Friday, June twenty eighth, it's paid protest at Mayday Space in Bushwick. The show starts at seven. It's our comedy show fundraising for the DSA, and it is doors also at show at doors at seven. Show at seven thirty. Andrew's going to give you the tip off. You don't have to come at seven. We're just <laughs> going to put you in chairs if you do that. But you should. Um, it's also very special because Andrew's Lee's golden birthday. It is my golden birthday, and afterwards uh, we will be doing some karaoke to celebrate, and um, uh, all hang out in a cube. We're gonna build one during the course of the yeah. show. And Socialism is about party. building your own cube. Yeah, come get in the cube. Yeah. Um, what is up? What do I got? Um, next Yoko at El Cortez in Bushwick is July second. Um, I've we got. Marsha Belsky, Christy Cielo, Max Wittert, Joe Romerill, RDG. Got a good lineup. Um, it'll be another good one. Uh, I'm going to be at the Colfax Comedy Festival in Denver um, in a couple weeks here, uh, leading up to the weekend of uh, July 14th. Uh, but I'll be all over town hanging out and shit. And um, and then more tour dates and stuff like that coming up. Uh, I'm going to tour with Sara June, but that, that stuff will all be up as it gets booked. Um I think that's it. I think, uh, yeah. Uh, if we can, do we still rate, review, subscribe now that iTunes is fucking going away? I give Cube seven out of seven cubes. Oh, yeah. Well, how many cubes do you give ever? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give that's a cube, y'all. <laughs> um, Two cubes way up. New is, cube. Uh, <laughs> is five a prime number? Yes. I don't know. You yeah. tell me. Yeah. It is? Okay. You don't even know if five's a prime number. Well, You're so far from being the math guy, it's insane. <laughs> um, I mean, he, we that that guy and me are like the alpha and omega of autism. That's what, like, <laughs> that's what I always call you. Like, really I'm so bad at math. That hot it's, guy um, who does a podcast. Patreon.com slash poddamnamerica if you want a bunch of our bonus episodes and shit. We make a lot of them. Um, and uh, there's a fun community in there. I'm pretty sure somebody who's on our Patreon killed me in a game of Fortnite last night because I had the same screen name. Uh, it was that gamer unknown guy. All right. Um, I think that's it. Uh, it's finished? It's finished. It's finished. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. Yeah, thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Nice meeting you. Yeah.